you are listening to Pursumedia Minutes. Here is the bottom line and above, from Pursumedia Weekly Newsletter, published on June 21, 2023. To sign up for our Iran Weekly Newsletter and to learn more about our advanced AI solutions, please get in touch with us. The glass is not nearly as empty as it looks. There has been a lot of hand-wringing lately over various real and perceived Iranian successes. First, the Nizam succeeded in wearing down the protesters in Iran and restoring order. Then, in February, the IAEA reported its inspectors in Iran had found traces of uranium enriched to nearly 84% purity. In March came the bombshell announcement that China had brokered an agreement between Iran and Saudi Arabia to restore relations, and in a flurry of diplomatic activity, the then-Secretary of the Supreme National Security Council Ali Shamhani visited the UAE and Iraq, a Majlis delegation visited Bahrain and discussed restoring relations, and feelers were put out to Jordan and Egypt as well. Now, this past week, oil industry analysts told Reuters that Iran's oil exports have reached the highest volume since the U.S. maximum pressure policy was announced in 2018. Western pundits have been ringing the alarm. As early as February, Foreign Affairs published an article titled, Iran's Hardliners Are Winning. A columnist in Foreign Policy recently fumed that, Saudi-Iranian rapprochement has failed to bring de-escalation, and Bloomberg reported this week that Iran's efforts to end years of isolation represented, Iran's latest wins. Yikes. The pundits are not wrong, exactly. Iran continues to do troubling things. But that is only part of the story. Iran's oil exports have hit a five-year high, but they are able to export that oil only at a steep discount, and at roughly 1.5 million barrels per day, their exports are still about 1 million barrels per day lower than they were before the U.S. repudiated the JCPOA and imposed, maximum pressure, sanctions. So, the story is that, after five years of trying, Iran is, as one would expect, finding ways around U.S. sanctions, but is hardly flush with cash. In fact, the Financial Times recently reported that Iran's automobile industry, accounting for 4% of GDP, has been devastated by sanctions, making Iranian-manufactured cars so expensive they are out of reach for most Iranians. Increased oil exports aren't the whole story. To be sure, when it comes to Israel and the United States, one can find examples of provocative Iranian behavior. That's not good, but Iran's neighborly policy aims to reduce tensions with Iran's neighbors as an alternative to improving relations with the United States. Iran heralded the Chinese-brokered restoration of relations with Saudi Arabia as a blow against U.S. hegemony and a step towards its eventual exclusion from the region. Nonetheless, if it reduces the potential for conflict between the two heavyweights in the Persian Gulf, it is not inconsistent with the U.S. interest in stability. Maybe we should take the half-loaf even though a whole one would be preferable. So, too, Iran's increased emphasis on the Palestinians, they just hosted a delegation of Palestinian groups to facilitate coordination of efforts against Israel, is not only in character, but also a response to U.S. and Israeli efforts to cobble the Abraham Accords into an anti-Iranian alliance. As long as the Israelis are employing force in response to Palestinian behavior, the Saudis and other Arab countries will be hesitant about signing on to relations with Israel. The Iranians may be cynical and bloody-minded, but we can hardly expect them to view the Abraham Accords, 
an initiative of the same U.S. administration that repudiated the JCPOA and imposed maximum pressure as a benign peace project and sit on their hands. Iran may not be dialing back its troublemaking towards Israel and the U.S., but they have shown some interesting restraint lately in their effort to get back into the good graces of the Saudis and other Arab countries. As reported in the Pursue Media Daily Summary, last month the Saudis executed five Shia men on terrorism charges and Tehran refrained from any official comment on the action, a departure from its usual behavior of threatening and condemning the Saudis for their abuse of Shiites. Indeed, it was just such an execution of a prominent Saudi Shia cleric in 2016 that caused a hardline mob to torch the Saudi embassy in Tehran, precipitating the break in diplomatic relations that only now are being restored. Moreover, although the Saudis did not name the foreign country supporting the condemned men, their description of the men as having joined a foreign-based network in order to carry out acts of terror against the kingdom and of receiving training in camps belonging to terrorist entities aiming to destabilize the security of Saudi Arabia and Bahrain seems to be very consistent with the IRGC GOATS forces past cultivation and support of Shia militants. Nonetheless, the Islamic Republic observed a studied silence to the executions. This week the Nizam continued to bite its tongue when, as reported in the Pursumedia Daily Summary, the visiting Saudi foreign minister refused to meet with Iranian officials in a reception room adorned with a portrait of the late GOATS force commander, Lieutenant General Hassem Soleimani. The Iranian foreign ministry lamely explained that a technical issue forced a change in venue for the meeting, but both Iranian and Saudi media reported the real reason the Saudis demanded another room. Tehran may have been embarrassed, but it was not going to let a photo of Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei's favorite martyr get in the way of restoring relations with Riyadh. It is true that Iran's restraint in these instances have been largely over symbolic issues that merely require Tehran to keep its mouth shut. That, however, is easier said than done in Iran, given the clout wielded by hardline groups and the IRGC, and some hardline media have criticized these examples of what the critics say is the Nizam's excessive tolerance of provocations. More important is that analysts in Iran attribute Tehran's determination to improve relations with Riyadh as a response to the domestic crisis of last year's Mahsa Amini protests and the continued pressure of U.S. sanctions. Respected Iranian professor Mahmoud Saryol Kalam wrote that the rapprochement with Saudi Arabia showed that at least some elements in the Nizam were prepared to change course when faced with a crisis, and another academic argued that economic problems and last year's unrest led Iran to seek to de-escalate tensions with Saudi Arabia and Egypt. Similar concerns almost certainly drive Iran's recent willingness to engage the United States indirectly regarding the release of U.S. hostages in Iran and a possible interim understanding that limits Iran's enrichment of uranium. The Financial Times reported that after the U.S. and Iran exchanged drone and missile strikes in March against each other's bases in Syria, the U.S. received indications that Iran wanted to defuse tensions, which led to indirect talks between the two countries in Oman last month. An academic observer in Iran judged that, given Iran's severe economic problems and domestic discontent, the Islamic Republic has concluded that it has no choice but to resolve the nuclear issue with the U.S. 
My mother didn't raise a son dopey enough to predict that renewed contacts between Iran and the United States will succeed in putting brakes on Iran's nuclear program or birth a détente that reduces Iran's provocative behavior in the Levant or its military assistance to Russia's war of aggression in Ukraine. But the fact that Iran is even willing to entertain the idea of some sort of interim nuclear agreement, which it had rejected publicly last year, represents movement on its part. This suggests that, as Professor Saryol Kalam observed, some Nizam officials, even at a time of principalist domination of the system, are prepared to change course in response to Iran's predicament. It also suggests that Iran is not in as strong a position as it claims to be, nor as powerful as those who ring alarms think it is. The glass is not nearly as full as we would like it to be, but there is reason to focus on it being half full, rather than fretting over it being half empty. Pursue Media provides media research, open-source intelligence, AI-driven analytics, and strategic communications consultancy. For more information about our advanced AI solutions or to subscribe to Pursue Media products and services, please get in touch with us.